Father God, we are thankful for your goodness, thankful for the work that you're doing in China and for the blessing of allowing us to be part of that. We now just pray as we open your word and we allow the Holy Spirit and the psalmist to speak to us, Lord, that it would be clear and that we would understand, Lord, that um, we have opportunities each day amidst our difficulties to bring glory and honor to your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 42 and 43, there's strong evidence that um, Psalm 42 as well as Psalm 43 were once psalms that was split up as the Psalter was divided into individual psalms. And so let's go ahead and just read through those two psalms. Psalms 42, to the choir master, a mascal of the son of of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. But the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go on about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. I remember there was a day I was in China and we were right in the midst of about this time of year and we were right in the midst of sending out letters and stuff and I was corresponding to someone in the States about that who was sending those out and helping me with that. And so um, I was having kind of a difficult day. I'd just gotten word that there was there were taxes that we were unaware of, Chinese taxes for the business and I didn't know about them and so it seemed like In the end, it didn't happen, but it seemed like they may be looking back and charging us for those for over the years. And 
Uh, my computer was having issues. It wasn't opening up some important programs that I needed. And so it was just kind of a bad day. And um, I called my friend Rodney in the States to talk to him about the mailing. And he said, you know, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing great. And I go, you know, honestly, I'm not doing the best. And I told him the things that I just kind of told you. And, and he paused for a second. He said, you're not going to spend eternity in hell and you're having a bad day. And so it really gave me um, pause to think about that. You know, why was I having a bad day? It really changed my outlook on things. Well, as we read this psalm here, you could see the psalmist was having a bad day. We really don't know anything about this psalm. We really don't know much about the background. Verse 6 indicates the psalmist is writing from the northern foothills of Mount Hermon. They would walk from Israel. If they were taken captivity to Assyria or Babylon, they would walk from, they they would go through the northern Mount Hermon region to get to the Assyrians. And so as some commentators believe, I also think that this um, young man is one of the captives that is being taken to captive, captive from the Babylonians um, after the destruction of the temple. But whatever the circumstances, it's clear that the psalmist has been cut off from the worship at the temple and the whole emphasizes his desire to return and worship God. One thing that I'm sure became clear as we read the psalm is that the psalmist is discouraged. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Verse 6, my soul is in despair within me. Verse 7, pictures the psalmist as overwhelmed by the chaos in his life and the despair that he feels is threatening to destroy him. Verse 9 speaks of his shattering in my bones as indicating the excruciating physical pain that his circumstances are causing. No less than ten times the psalmist asks God why, including why have you rejected me? And the ultimate question of despair Why have you forgotten me? So this morning I want to look at the cause of the psalmist's discouragement and his remedies for overcoming this discouragement so that we might better understand how to honor God by finding contentment amidst life's difficulties. So first of all, the causes, why does a godly man become cast down? Why does a godly man become Cast down. The first cause is absence from corporate worship. And if I forget to do this, just signal me. Okay? Absent from corporate worship. The cry at the end of verse 2 asking, When shall I come and appear before God? is a cry to come into God's presence at the temple. The psalmist is far from home and feels that he is therefore far from God. Without personal Bibles, recorded music to listen to, MP3 of messages, you could see why this man so equated his relationship with God with his worship at the temple. The second, attacks from ungodly or wicked people. We see this in verse 3 and again in verse 10. The wicked people around him are continually saying, Where is your God? Atheists would not exist 
unto the coming of Greek philosophy. So this is not a cry from atheists. If the person is headed towards exile, then this would be a cry from the Babylonians saying that their God has defeated his God. These wicked people have also attacked the character of the psalmist. And so the psalmist in 43 verse 1 cries out, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. We can take great offense when people don't agree with our theology or Christian views. They put down our Christian faith or not respond. They do not respond in a way we thought they should for our acts of kindness. While we, while we need to stand up for the truth of Scripture and the reputation of our Savior, I think it often shows our pride when we take it personal that someone would not agree or make fun of our beliefs. You know, when a Jehovah Witness or Mormon stops by your home or these days just an atheist or somebody that's very critical of Christianity. I think our love for their soul quickly disappears in the goal to win the argument. The third thing, memories of better days. Instead of using his memory to remember God and his past acts and works, the psalmist in verse 4 remembers the good old days back in Jerusalem leading worship. Obviously, Worship is a good thing. However, this has made him ungrateful to God and untrusting of God's sovereignty in his present circumstances. Like the Israelites looking back to Egypt, we can easily look back at better times in our lives and be discouraged. Fourthly, he's simply overwhelmed by the issues of life. Verse 7 has the idea of total chaos. The psalmist feels overwhelmed by the chaotic forces of despair threatening to destroy him, is the, one, one, is the way one commentator put it. He just makes it to the surface to catch his breath and another wave sweeps over him. The psalmist feels his present situation is totally overwhelming him. And then the fifth reason, failure of God to act quickly or change life's circumstances. Failure of God to act quickly. In verse 9, the psalmist finally cries out to God, Why have you forgotten me? The author has certain expectations regarding what God should do, and God is not meeting those expectations. And so it makes the psalmist feel like God is distant. God has forgotten him. My grandmother had Alzheimer's, various difficulties of that Disease to friends and family members can be overwhelming. But there came a day when my mom, she returned from a trip down south where my mom was, and she came back home, and I asked her how it went, and she said to me, I think my mom has forgotten me. I don't think she recognized me. I believe the most difficult moment by far is when you believe you are forgotten. The person does not recognize has forgotten a child, a spouse, or a close friend. The psalmist in his discouragement expresses the ultimate state of despair, believing that he has been forgotten of God. Sometimes because God does not act on our own timetable, or even act like God 
our own timetable, we even act like God is against us. As the psalmist indicates in the statement forty in 43 verse 2, asking God, why have you rejected me? So these are the issues, the problems, the causes of the godly man being cast down. Many of you could add your own issues to that list. Problems with children. Issues that you are facing with aging parents. Difficulties in your marriage. Maybe the fact that you're not married. Stress of college, personal or family health issues, job issues, financial issues, etc. And so we want to quickly turn to the remedies. How does the godly man find contentment? How do we, as we live our lives, find a deep, true, exceeding joy, a deep contentment with all that is going on in our lives? James Montgomery Boyce says it this way, The world turns to many false cures. Some people try to escape the depressing realities of their lives through divorce, excessive entertainment, or frequent vacations. Some pop pills. Some are in habit-forming drugs. There must be millions who echo the thoughts of a young character, Mallory, of the television program Family Ties, who said, When I get depressed, I go shopping. These cures are ineffective. At best, they merely lift our spirits for a time. So we want to look at the remedies. First remedy, a strong foundation in your relationship with God. Even the strongest believer will struggle with life situation. However, the key is cultivating a strong relationship with God before the problems come. The strong relationship is seen starting with verse 1 and continuing throughout the psalm. I grew up just uh, a little ways from here. We used to come up here to do our shopping up to Rochester. And I grew up on a farm down near Rushville, New York, just south of Canandaigua. And on that farm, we had cows. We had anywhere from 50 to 100 beef cows. And each spring, summertime, we would wean the calves. So we would take, we would go through the process of separating the calves from the mother, which is no easy process. And we would put the calves, lock them, we would reinforce the fence and lock them up in the upper barn. And then we'd take the rest of the herd and we'd take them as far away as we could to a field. And for the next two, three, four, five days, all you heard on that farm was mooing. Okay, The calves desperately wanted to get back to their mothers and the cows, the mother cows, desperately wanted to get back to their calves. So if you look there in verse... One, as a deer pants for flowing streams, or pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, I've never seen a deer pant for water, but I've seen those calves, how desperately they wanted to get back to their mother. You know, can we say what the psalmist said about our relationship with God? Do we thirst for God? Do our soul pants for God as someone who's just dying of thirst? Although the psalmist is away from many things connected with family, friends, and the life of home, throughout the psalm he is mostly concerned with restoring the closeness of the relationship he has had with God. 
of all the things his enemies must have been saying and doing, his main concern is what they are saying about his God. This type of mindset does not just happen. It can't be spontaneously generated when times are tough. It is evidence of a deep and personal relationship, a strong foundation in your relationship with God. Second remedy is a fight, a striving to remember the character of God amidst life's circumstances. This might be what I love the best about this psalm. You vividly see the struggle of the psalmist to focus on God throughout the psalm, to get his mind thinking spiritual thoughts. In fact, the struggle is so graphically displayed, at times it makes the psalm hard to get your hands around. It's not just the idea of the first three verses, one through three, the psalmist has his problems, four through six, he struggles, um, seven through nine, okay, he um, recognizes God and God helps him. You see different, such diverse opinions expressed right in adjoining phrases. Verse 6, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Verse 7, the ultimate despair that he expressed in verse 7 is immediately followed by the wonderful hope in verse 8. The Lord or Yahweh, covenant God, used frequently in the book of the Psalms and used for the first time here in this Psalm in verse 7. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life, the God who rules my life or gives me life. And so you think to yourself, okay, he succeeded. Chenggongla, as we would say in China, in Chinese. He succeeded over his problem, over the temptation of despair. And then verse 9, he calls God his rock but then quickly followed by the ultimate statement of hopelessness, why have you forgotten me? Verse, chapter 43, verse 2, for you are the God of my strength. But then a negative statement, why have you rejected me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemies? And so you see this turmoil, this struggle, but that's what's so beautiful about this psalm. There is a struggle. Often we can just get caught in our despair or our discouragement and just stay there. We're not even struggling. But the the psalmist here is struggling to remember God, to keep his mind on the character of God. Remedies are not quick. And like the psalmist, we must fight and strive to remember the character of God amidst life's circumstances. This is exactly what the psalmist says he is doing in verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. This idea of remembrance, remembrance in a biblical sense, is more than just a reference to memory. I remember one of my professors saying that. One commentator puts it this way, to forget God is to resist the connection between who he is and how one is to act in response. To remember God is to ground one's life in and on him, and so to draw all one's life's decisions and actions out of that foundation. That's what it is to remember God. Third remedy, a commitment to stop listening to yourself 
and begin talking to yourself. Commitment to stop listening to yourself and begin talking to yourself. This is what the psalmist is doing at the end of each stanza. You can see this in verse 5, verse 11, and in 43 again in verse 5. Let's just look at 42.11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of my countenance and my God. Martin Lloyd-Jones commenting, commenting on this passage in his book, Spiritual Depression, says the following. This is an extended quote. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual, de- spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they, are, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Lloyd continues, Lloyd-Jones continues, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go, and I think this is the whole, the key to the whole point, on to remind yourself of who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do, then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is the health of my countenance and my God. If we look back there, in a little bit more detail at that verse, verse 11, which ends each of the three stanzas, we see that the psalmist speaks to himself and challenges himself. He speaks of the irrational state that he is in. Why, for what cause, on what account am I cast down or agitated? The language indicates the fault does not lay at the feet of the circumstances, but at the feet of the psalmist. Why have I allowed myself to be cast down? The dejection is a volitional, voluntary one. The conscious decision has been made and therefore the psalmist is culpable. He is responsible to do what the spiritual self knows should be done, hope in God. And based on the unchanging character of God and his unchanging purpose for me, I know that I shall again praise him. So you have four remedies here. 
They build on each other. If you don't have a strong foundation, and if you're not striving to think spiritual thoughts, then there's no way you're going to be able to speak truth to yourself. Then we come to the fourth remedy, a discovering by God's light and God's truth the only source of exceeding joy. We look there at verse 43, verse 3. It says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. What we need is exactly what the psalmist has asked for here. You know, each time we come back to America, I am newly aware of the things that the world is telling us that will bring us joy and the things that the world is telling us that is truth. The world has its own version of what is light and what is truth and what will give joy. But notice the beautiful progression of the psalmist as he goes to the holy hill and then to the dwelling place of God, and then to the altar of God, and then to the place of exceeding joy. For the New Testament saint, that light and that truth has been revealed to us in Christ. John 8.31, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. When one dwells on the word that became flesh, the revealed light and truth that is Christ, one easily discovers that the source of exceeding joy is Christ alone. The mathematician Blaise Pascal said it this way, There once was in man a true happiness, of which now remain to him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate, because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself. Jonathan Edwards would state it a little bit more succinctly, The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. How often do we live and act like we are victims of our circumstances, not like we are under the care of a sovereign, just, and loving God? A couple years back, I was riding my bike to the office, which I do, and and um, I collided with another bike and went down and broke my collarbone. So I went to the hospital and had surgery. And, and while I was there, I gave the surgeon a book, a Christian book that we had published. And I gave it to him. And um, a couple of weeks later, I went back to the hospital to get a checkup. And after he had checked me, I said, hey, how are you doing? How have you been doing recently? And Zui Jin needs them a young. And he said, I've been doing well. And he goes, thank you for the book that you gave me. And he goes, do you know why I'm so interested in Christianity? 
And I didn't know he was interested in Christianity. He proceeds to say, in 2015, I had a chance to do a three-month internship at a hospital in the States. So I flew into um, the U.S. and flew into an airport. I think it was in Indiana, a smaller airport. And um, I'm looking around, and nobody's there to meet me. And it's a Sunday morning, not many people at the airport, and I really don't know what to do. And this guy comes up to me, and he asks me, he can see that probably I'm confused, and so he asks me if I, he can help me. And so he, he, um, I tell him my situation, he goes, I'll take you to the hospital, or take you to where you need to go. And so he gets in the car, and he says, as he's in the car, he found out that this guy is a believer. And he's flown into the airport because his wife has cancer, so he's going in to see his wife and visit his wife at the hospital that's nearby. And so in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of what he was going through, he had a chance to minister to this Chinese doctor who otherwise I don't think would even consider Christianity. Probably would have laughed at the book I gave him. But here he's bringing up a conversation with me about Christianity because this man in the midst of his trouble was willing to come alongside and help um, this doctor. Whether we know it or not, there is a watching world and they don't want to see how we handle comfort, health, and wealth, families without problems, perfect relationships, perfect marriages, uninterrupted schedules, ideal working environments, stable jobs, etc., they want to see how we, how Christ helps us to deal with the same problems that they're facing every day. Why is this so important? When we are discouraged, depressed, in a bad mood, overwhelmed, etc., ultimately it is not our happiness or well-being, but God's glory that is at stake. Discouraging things will happen in life. Hardship will come. Tragedies will take place without a moment's notice. When those things happen, I don't think the initial response, the natural feelings of loss, despair, grief are sinful. However, how do we respond to those feelings? How do we view God in the midst of those circumstances? How do you view God in the midst of everyday circumstances. Have we, like the psalmist, been cultivating a strong relationship with God? Do we scratch, claw, and bite with every ounce of our being to remember the character of God amidst life circumstances? Do we deliberately stop listening to ourselves? And are we intentional about talking truth, speaking truth to ourselves? And finally, are we using God's light and God's truth to seek and discover the source of exceeding joy. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for the psalmist. We're thankful for his candor, for his struggle, Lord, in the midst of the depressing situation that he finds himself in. May each of us apply these truths to our lives that we might not just glorify you with our mouths, but with our hearts and our minds. 
May, way, may the way that we live our lives in the difficult situations that we face each day be a testimony to the watching world of the transforming power of the cross of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen.